Welcome to the podcast of Tony Mayo, the business owner's executive coach. This podcast is the audio from our free weekly webinar, Tuesdays with Tony at 12. You can see the video, download the slides and other materials at tiny.cc slash TWTony. That's T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash T-W-T-O-N-Y, all lowercase. Okay, so today's topic is, is conversations, one of my, my top topics in any case, because it's all about you know, what we can do with people to create the life we want for ourselves and for them. And as you may have seen in the, the Facebook Live or in one of my speeches, uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom embedded in the history of our language, and the word conversation has a history. It's from, no surprise, two Latin words, con and versare. You probably know the one con, because it's the same in Spanish, which means with, as in chili con carne. Uh, versare is a little more obscure. That means to change the state of something used to open for a door that's open or closed. So in early English, when someone invited you to a conversation, you knew that they wanted to get together to change the state of something, to make something different, to open one door or close some other. But we often forget that, what conversation's really about. Uh, it's useful to look into, go into a conversation with the intention to, to make something change. And I found that when I uh, facilitate and moderate meetings for my client companies, the main thing I do is get them to actually commit to taking some action out of the conversation. They'll discuss it long enough, and generally you get this feeling that there's sort of a consensus and people all agree on the same thing, and then they wanna to move to the next topic. No, 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 the consensus is just the opening where you can get a particular person to agree to do a particular thing by a particular time. Otherwise, you end up in a situation that one prospective client said about his company, around here, when all is said and done, there's more said than done. All right, so I can go through these uh, 12 steps to describe them, or, or we can try applying them. If there's a particular conversation situation uh, that you'd like some help with, that's always the best way to make use of these conversations is you know, what's coming up, what's on your mind, those conversations that you rehearse in the shower. Uh, and uh, I was once asked, what's the biggest difference in my life once I, I learned the distinctions of coaching? And it was, I just had fewer imaginary conversations and more and more actual real life conversations. The best and worst thing about having real conversations instead of the rehearsed ones is in real conversations, people can say things I didn't expect. Because when you're rehearsing them, they can only behave the way you expect them to behave. And once we have a certain picture of someone, an evaluation of who they are and how they react, they turn into objects instead of human beings that can surprise us, that can create, that can respond to what we're doing. So getting those conversations out of my head and into the office uh, was a big change for me. And I encourage that for everyone. So uh, in case you're wondering who that uh, other participant is, confidence there that I have a laptop that I joined the meeting at so I can look over there and see what you see. Okay, any uh, particulars we can deal with? <laughs> okay, uh, Jane is practicing her mime today. She's communicating very well just with uh, video. Greg is the other side of the coin. He's doing it completely uh, with audio. Hey, look, he's in person. Uh, I'll appear. <laughs> okay, good. 
Anything in particular you wanted to, to mention or work on today? Not really. Okay. I'm an active listener. <laughs> All right. So the, the, the first step for my 12-step program is to get yourself centered. Uh, in fact, I had this situation just yesterday. I had talked to a client last thing on Friday, and we reached a conclusion. And it just bothered me over the weekend. I said, you know, that's, that's really not the best response I could have given him. And I want to uh, be a bit more intrusive, a little bit more confrontational. Uh, but I wasn't eager to do that because not only uh, am I coaching my clients, but the clients are paying my bills. And, this, and sometimes I naturally worry if I, if I push a little harder, go a little deeper, you know, maybe that'll affect uh, my ability to pay the mortgage. Uh, I, I eventually uh, always come around to being more confrontational. I figure if I do best, my best for my client, I will, I will do better. But I don't always do it immediately. And this was one case where I uh, very carefully attended to step one of getting centered. Uh, I was reminded that luckily, uh, while I was procrastinating by going through my email, and a, a friend of mine who's a great uh, yoga and meditation teacher, Jonathan Faust, uh, had just sent out his newsletter with a seven-minute guided relaxation. I said, okay, let's, let's begin my preparation for the conversation by listening to that. So I sat and meditated, listened to it. I thought, you know, didn't quite sink in. Let's do it again. So I ran it for another seven minutes, breathed, pay attention to my hands and my feet. And so just got to myself to a center. And, and I think of that for every voice. One is your, your physical center where you, you might balance. And Jane, I know you, you're very aware of where your center is because you do uh, so many uh, physical things uh, with your, your pole training. Uh, but also to get myself uh, mentally, intellectually centered. I wasn't committed to any particular response from the client. I wasn't tied to any particular thing I had to say. I was right in the middle, you know, so that however they respond, I, I can uh, move with it, sort of bend like a, a young tree in the wind instead of uh, that stiff old tree that gets blown over by the wind. So in that sense, I, I was centered, unattached to any outcome other than having a good conversation. So that's step number one, and I have a link from step number one to some centering uh, recordings and, and instructions on my, my website. The next step was to make sure the other person is willing to talk. Just because I'm centered and ready for the conversation doesn't mean the other people or persons in the conversation will be. And I've codified that as well in the conversation contract, which is something we'll, we'll go into in more detail uh, on another one of our calls. And Jane, I think you were in the room when I described that at Rogue Public Speaking as well, that uh, idea of making an agreement with the person, uh, starting with what outcome do we both want? Well, you can't be too detailed with that because of course that's the purpose of the conversation is to determine the outcome you're going to have. But the outcome could be as simple as, let's be clear on what our next steps are. Oh, okay, so I'm, I'm willing to have a conversation about getting clear. Uh, let's have a conversation so we know whether we're going ahead or not. So you can agree that you want that kind of resolution at the end of the conversation. The second part of the conversation contract is now that we've agreed on what outcome we want, what do we need to do that? Who needs to be here? Is there information we need? Do we need to bring in budgets? Do we need to wait till the books close? Uh, do we have to pull out the contract? Usually not a good sign, but sometimes you, you want to both have the contract available. So the second part is, is what resources are best for the conversation. And then the, the third part is, uh, how long is this conversation going to take? When do we start? 
when do we finish? That second part is the one that's most often left out. Uh, people are saying, oh, we need to have a conversation about this. It'll be you, me, and uh, the CFO. Then we'll do it at 1.30. Well, how long is it gonna take? We just discussed our objective and what's involved. We should have a pretty good idea how long it's going to take. Uh, one of the reasons that makes people reluctant to go into difficult conversations is they don't know how long they're going to absorb. So we, we come up with some, our best guess. We, when it can't be for sure, but let's agree to start with, hey, can we spend five minutes on this topic? Sure. When you get towards that end of that five minutes, you got to revisit it. Should we now agree to another 10 minutes, agree to another time, realize that this is too difficult, or we don't have the right resources? Particularly for salespeople, folks are reluctant to talk to a salesperson because they don't know when they're going to get out of the conversation. It's so powerful in a sales or persuasive, persuading conversation when you get towards the end of the agreed time to say, I want to be respectful of your precious time. We're at the end of the five minutes. What would you like to do next? Shall we take another 10 to wrap up or should we schedule another time? Right. So far, so good. Any, any thoughts, questions, concerns about this? I think that's the one thing that, that you taught me like back at HPS grad um, is about the respect for time. So whenever I'm having the sales conversations, um, that has really been so supportive and it actually mm -hmm. surprises the other person on the other line when I say, you know, we're coming to the end of the agreed, agreed upon time, would you like to speak more or at a later date? Mm -hmm. And it surprises people. Yeah. <laughs> It's sort of the opposite of the classic salesperson with a foot in the door where the car salesperson gets your license and your keys so you can do, go for a test drive, but then those keys disappear. <laughs> so they always, they always have an extra 10, 15 minutes with you. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that's one of the uh, guidelines that David Sandler, who I, I, I studied sales training with 20 years ago, uh, used as his basis. He said, he said, let me find out all the things that irritate people about salesmen. I'll do the opposite, see how that goes. <laughs> that worked pretty well. Uh, that's become a, the dominant approach to sales in the year since. Okay, step three is to help the other person feel safe. And that's primarily to do with the relationship. I mean, if you're correcting an employee, it can be useful to let them know that you're happy with their work and you want them to be successful at the company you expect they will be successful. Like, okay, now I can make a minor correction. I'm not fighting for my life here. Uh, in personal relationships, this is particularly powerful uh, to, to remind people that you know, you, at the end of the conversation, we're still going to love each other. We're still going to be married. I'm still going to pay your college tuition. What, you know, whatever the, the things people might be worried about in the, in the relationship. Let them know that this conversation is inside the relationship, not something determining whether or not you're going to have a relationship. And that's, you just, it can just take a second to state that explicitly. Hey, hello, Dr. Bob. Welcome aboard. Can you hear Thank us okay? You, I'm sorry. I was out, uh, unfortunately, meeting with an insurance agent and just got home, so I'm sorry I'm late. Wow, that's, that's, uh, I'm really flattered that you decided to meet with an insurance agent instead of be here. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Bob, I, I put a document in the chat window, if you, if you can see that. And uh, so we're, we're going through my 12-step program for having the, the more difficult confrontational conversations in our life. Okay, cool. Um, um, I have, I'm clicking on chat and, oh, there it is. Okay, got it. So after you get yourself centered, use your conversation contract to, so you both agree on what you're trying to accomplish in broad terms and how long it's going to take. 
And then reassure the other person that the relationship is not the topic uh, that you're trying to build on the relationship. You want to solve this within the boundaries of how you're related to each other. Step four is, a, as soon as I say it, I think you recognize it as a place a lot of conversations go south, particularly in the public sphere. And that is, let's focus on the facts first. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. No one's entitled to their own information, to their own facts. So let's get clear about that. In businesses, this can be the most time-consuming part of it. Uh, in fact, a, a friend of mine uh, who's a partner at a big consulting firm, his major thing is helping companies get information that matches. Uh, so, many, so often people are grabbing information from the corporate database, massaging it in Excel, and walking into a meeting thinking they have the facts. Someone else pulled information into their personal Excel spreadsheet, manipulated it, updated it, brought it in, and they don't match, and things go, go south pretty quickly. So he's developing better systems for these big companies for everyone to have the same uh, spreadsheets at the same time. Excel is a powerful tool, but cuts both ways. And if there's some dispute about the facts, well, then let's resolve those. And as some of you may have heard me discuss in other contexts, and we'll go into this in a, a future episode of this, and that is the difference between facts and opinions. They're different things, both have value, but you handle them different ways. The key thing about facts in this context is a fact is something that you and I can quickly agree on a process for verifying it, whether it is true or not. You know, if I, and I have a, a video on this. I, I'll put the link into the, the notes uh, on, on the site later on. But how you can distinguish facts from opinions. So let's get our facts, agree on how to verify them, and get clear about it. Now, this can be uh, easy to slide into opinion. And I put some of my favorite examples uh, in this handout. It said, you know, saying, the client reported several misspellings in your report. That's a fact. Saying your work is sloppy is an opinion. Now, maybe a valid opinion, maybe a useful opinion, but it's a lot uh, easier for someone to start disputing your opinions based on their worldview and their other impressions. But the fact's a fact. If the, if the client told you there were several misspellings, that's something you can work with. And you'll often find that you'll start with an opinion. Opinions are very motivating. Yeah but they're also fairly personal. And it takes several steps to get from the opinion down to what's the factual basis of it. Just doing that before you go into a meeting can go a long way in having it go better. Particularly in these, when you're trying to correct someone or bring someone back into line with your requirements or expectations. You may start with an opinion, but say, what's that opinion based on? Going through this process, getting from opinions down to the underlying facts is called grounding. I love that word because it gets down to solid foundations, grounding an opinion. Hmm. Questions, comments so far? Are you thinking of any particular conversations or confrontations that uh, you might want some specific feedback on? All right, I'll press on. It doesn't take much to keep me talking. Sorry, sorry I was muted. Yeah, I yes, Bob. You made a very good point about political conversations these days. People are starting with widely disparate sets of facts, and even even getting to agreement on that can be extremely difficult, depending on where people what people's news source is. And you may never get beyond that, um, especially since I think a lot of opinions are being 
put forward as facts. Yes, know. and some facts are being portrayed as opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a concerted effort you're, you're, in some circles these days that are trying to undermine our confidence that there are any facts available. Hey, I don't want to get into politics. Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> Uh, but maybe in, in trying to talk to your friends about politics, you try, try to get, get some facts. And if you haven't got the, the facts you can agree on, there's not much point in having that conversation unless you're just interested in hearing each other's opinions. And there's value there. You just want to know when you're dealing with an opinion and not with a fact. Because I care what people's opinions are. It doesn't mean it's going to change mine. All right. Uh, step five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. It's one of the Covey's uh, habits of highly successful people. And it's, it's such a powerful thing to listen before you speak. I was describing this in a seminar once, and, and my wife sort of sat up and says, oh, yeah, that's something you always do. She said, I've realized you'll sometimes call me, even with some really good news, something great that happened at work, and you'll start by asking me where I am what I'm doing, what I'm up to next. And I think of this as sort of clearing the space in their heads. People, all of us, have this conversation going on in our head all the time. We're thinking about this, we're considering that, we're maybe rehearsing a conversation. And then someone calls or walks in, I'm in the middle of my movie. I'm not ready to hear about your movie. Get up to speed on what's in my head. Uh, I had one teacher who referred to this as the mental enema. So sometimes you gotta get all that <clears throat> out of people's heads before there's any room for what you have to say. Uh, he even did this once in a way that um, made me very uncomfortable. I had closed my biggest uh, opportunity with a company. I was going to, for the first time, build this consulting firm, a sales force. Up until then, as with many consulting firms, the individual professionals brought in the business. So there was going to be some resistance to shifting to a sales force, especially since sales forces cost money before they pay off. So the stipulation of the client was, I'll only do this if we get buy-in from all of the employees. We had an all-employee meeting. I mentioned this to my boss and he said, would you like me to come out and do that meeting for you? I thought, sure. I mean, you're much more experienced. You do it. Plus, I'm off the hook. If we lose the deal, <laughs> the boss lost the deal. So he started the meeting by describing what was proposed for creating a sales force. He said, now, tell me all the reasons you would not want to have a sales force. What could go wrong? I went, what is he thinking? Why are you supposed to be convincing them to go with the sales force? And for a good 20 minutes, seemed like an hour or two, he filled easel pads with their reasons. He didn't discuss them, he didn't dispute them, he just recorded them and says, is this accurate? Yes, is this accurate? What about, is there anything else? What other reasons do you have? And he hung them up and he looked at these and he said, well, that's quite a list of reasons not to do it. Why on earth would you even consider doing this? And the same people started saying things like, well, I'll have more time for delivery if I'm not doing so much sales. We'll have more revenue so we can spend more time getting ourselves trained. We can hire better. The same people came up with the reasons for doing it. And at the end, he just sort of casually looked at all the papers. He said, well, what do you want to do now? And they said, well, I guess we should go ahead. And they did. It's the mental enema, getting it all out. We understood it. We, we, we validated it saying, yeah, I can understand why you would feel that way. You know, it's not agreeing. 
It's, I understand why you would feel that way. You get to have that opinion. No argument, just uh, getting, clearing the space. So first understand, then be understood. Asking questions to clarify. In this handout, I've got a link to a way to ask more questions, to find these things out. In repeating things back. So every now and then someone will post on social media, philosopher Daniel Dennett's guide to disagreeing with someone. And the key thing uh, I see in that is, he says, until you can recite your opponent's argument back to them accurately, so accurately that they say, not only is that a good uh, listing of my argument, you may have made my argument more strongly than I have. Only then do you have the right to start giving counterpoints, counter evidence, and so on. Because it makes people feel more validated, more real, that you've heard them. People mostly want to be heard. If that you hear nothing else today, phrase I'm not supposed to say according to our trainer at HPS, but if you give people a chance to be heard, it has a huge impact. Mostly we're not heard. Most of our communications in today's culture is one way. We're absorbing it from the media. Uh, so to have to be understood and listened to is a tremendous gift. And people reward us when we let them know that we've truly heard them. So my step, that was the fifth step. The stick is, sixth is to take responsibility for your own reactions. You know, we have opinions, we have reactions. Uh, there are things we may not like, but that's us. That is what we brought to the table, our opinions, our values, our worries. Don't blame the other person for that. This gets to one of the foundation bits of coaching in uh, marital relations, which is to make I statements. If you find yourself saying, you made me feel this way, realize that doesn't actually make much sense. No one can make you feel emotionally a particular way. Now, when you do X, I notice that I feel this way is very different. Now, I'm, I'm telling you that I notice I have a reaction. I don't know whether you intended me to have that reaction or not. I'm not even sure you did that particular thing. So let's verify those facts. Now I'm taking responsibility for my response. You, know, you can be angry. You can be resentful. You can be loving. You can be warm. But those are all things that are going on over here. And the more I can take responsibility for it, the better we can work with those reactions. So let's not blame the other person for making us uncomfortable or feeling suppressed. Let's just deal with the fact that that's a reaction we had to something they did and we can make a request that they do something different. All right, number seven, establish a level of trust. Again, I have an article about this. We could talk about it on a future call. But when we see that trust is absent or just communication is absent, we can start looking at trust. I, uh, at, when I first did an offsite for a, a, a corporation for a group of executives, I called a friend of mine who'd done many of these. I said, what advice can you give me? And he said, many people wanna hire you to do a strategic planning retreat. Companies feel like they should have a strategic plan. They hear that it's done at a retreat. That's often what they hire you for. And he responds the way I now respond, which is, I'm happy to do that. But if I find people can't talk about strategy in a useful way, I'm gonna talk about alignment. 
Do we agree on the same things? Do we have similar values and goals? And if people won't talk about their values and their goals and align on them, then I have to talk about safety. What is it about this group that people can't speak honestly about their values and their goals? Uh, I had one offsite that was going very badly. And finally, digging and digging, what turned out was everyone there thought they were the only competent executive in the room. Uh, they were not going to be a, a team on that basis. Uh, but so there's no point in developing a strategic plan for a group of people who just don't trust each other. So that's a, those are among the components of trust. Sincerity, capacity, competence, consistency, and care. You know? Sincerity, are they telling you the truth? Does what they think match what they say? Capacity, can they actually do it? Do they have the skills? Do they have the time? Do they have the competence? You know, are, are, are they able to carry through and get that kind of thing done? Even with all that, maybe they're not consistent. We've all worked with people and maybe you live with people who do, can do some things wonderfully one time and then it's a shambles the next. Well, you have to be careful what you trust them to do. And then finally, the care. Does, does it match up with their values? Do they care? You know, we, when we want something done well, we say, be careful, take care. Let's, let's evaluate their care. So when we notice that things just aren't lining up, you can look at the various components of trust. We may have some components of trust, but not all of them. And we can have a conversation about what's missing. And again, there's a, there's a link in this handout to a, an article about trust. Thoughts, concerns, issues so far? All right, press on. Number eight, explicitly agree on the shared commitment or the values. You know, find some bedrock that you can build the conversation up on. Uh, this one really came home to me literally once uh, on the way back from some social engagement with my wife. I had something uh, that was not totally positive to say about the particular thing my wife had said or done. I don't remember what it was at the time, uh, but it, I wouldn't let go of it. And finally she said, you know, if you have so many complaints about me, why do you stay married to me anyway? And did the classic go in the bathroom and close the door? Happy to, happy to admit that hasn't happened too many times. So it made a big impression on me. And I stood there. I was pretty wound up at this point, standing my position, being right about my opinion. And I went, yeah, that's, that's a good reason. That's a good question. Why, why do I stay married? I mean, what, what? And I kept thinking, well, it's not that. No, it's not. And finally I went, oh. And I knocked on the door, did my little conversation contract. Can we talk? Yes. This guy opened the door. Yes. <laughs> Said, I stay married to you because I care about your future. I want your life to go well and I want to be part of it. That was the foundation commitment. We could both agree on that. There are lots of things we have different opinions on, but we could agree that we want what's best for each other and want to contribute to each other's future. In a company, there should be things we can agree on. If not, why are we working together? So get down to that foundation and you can build up from there. Again, we're having a conversation within a relationship on top of some solid commitments. There's a lot of room in there to disagree, to be creative, to try things that don't work, to celebrate and to look back and try to fix things. But if you don't have that kind of safe container with a solid uh, commitments, and a relationship that's going to outlast the disagreement, then people won't do the, the hard things. All right, number nine, point out what you see as missing or not working. 
this is where a lot of conversations start. You notice we're on step nine and I've just now brought up the problem because <laughs> we've built a container, which now we can be hard on the issue, but still easy on the people. We want the relationship to last. We want the problem to go away. But people confuse the problem with the relationship. I mean, how many times have we been reluctant to bring something up because we didn't want to upset the person, we didn't want to take the risk. But if we know we're safe within shared commitments in an ongoing relationship, hey, you can talk about almost anything. And that's one of my guiding principles. I think there is a way to say almost anything, almost anybody in a way that works for everybody. But it takes some work to find that way. And here's how we can do the work. All right, now that we've got the, the problem on the table, step 10, explore and create together possible actions to move closer to the circumstances consistent with the shared value. Shared value. Yeah? To actually open up and be creative. Maybe give up on your own pet solution. Yeah, this doesn't have to be my way or the highway. I want to get, get somewhere. Maybe the side roads are going to be better. And then, once you've got this clarity, make requests and promises. Again, this is a huge topic. We'll talk about powerful requests, how to use and manage promises. There are fundamental ways of communicating. But unless you get down to a particular thing that's going to be done by a particular person at a particular time, you haven't really resolved it. It could be an ongoing practice. It could be a one-time event. It could be just a particular result that's going to happen. It could be calendar time ticking away, but it's going to be specific or that you're, you're uh, throwing away a lot of the work you've done to get up to that point. Even better, establish a structure of accountability for monitoring these actions. How are we gonna follow up? You know, classic in business meetings is to finish each business meeting with reciting the uh, action items. Yeah. Sally is gonna have this report for us by the next meeting. Joe is going to talk to the vendor and get an answer to this uh, specification question and bring it to the next meeting. And if that's how you finish the meetings with that accountability, that's how you start your next meeting is, okay, Sally, have we got that report? Great, done. Uh, Joe, did you have that meeting with the vendor? What was the response? Okay, good, so now we have that. And if it's not done, let's talk about that. Let's have a difficult conversation. This culture of accountability, and again, I have articles on this, is, is one of the things that makes organizations perform well and interestingly, it's a way to get rid of poor performers. I've noticed, maybe you have too, that many people say accountability when what they really mean is punishment. You know, we need more accountability in this organization, meaning we need more punishment. But that's not really going to get the results you want. It becomes a cat and mouse game with the punishment. When I say accountability, I mean accounting, just like the bookkeeping. You don't blame the accountant for the results. You just want accurate results so that you have facts you can work on. And that's how you want to, I want you to work with accountability with coworkers and other people that you interact with. Just check with them. This was supposed to be happening by this date. Did it happen or not? And then we can deal with the reality of it. So Joe doesn't have his action item complete. What do you do then? And again, I've got a video on this. And we can discuss how to deal with that. But the point is you are dealing with it. It's not just being slid away. So, oh yeah, Joe missed that one again. I don't want to bring it up. And what happens is you don't have to fire poor performers because very few people other than the, the oddball uh, sociopath will stay in an environment where they're continually being reminded that they're not keeping their promises. It, it's just unpleasant. 
We don't have to punish. We don't have to chastise. It just continually, you said you would do this. It hasn't been done. You said you'd do this. hasn't been done. Eventually, they find some place where they can hide out because there's plenty of places to hide. Not many organizations operate at a high level of accountability. Now, the final thing I'll say about these 12 steps is that they are roughly in sequence. If you're having trouble making progress on one, back up and look at the other one. I mean, right from the very beginning, if you find that you can't get a, a conversation contract going with this person, where they agree on some outcome with you and to put the resources and time into it, maybe it's because you're not centered. Maybe it's because you're too much leaning into your position or grasping onto a particular outcome. Yeah, maybe you need to call a break, uh, step away for half an hour or 20 minutes to, to breathe, exercise, do something else. Maybe you need a day to sleep on it, come back to it in a more centered way. Uh, maybe if you find you, you can't listen as in step five, you, you want to step back a little bit and make it clear that you want to be listening for facts as distinct from opinions. So any, at any point in the process, if you find that it's not working well, I, I think it's wise uh, and mature to step up and say, you know what, I want to call a pause in this conversation, or I want to move back a couple of steps. And this has happened several times where conversations seem to be going off the rails, getting this upset and confusion. It's like, wait a minute. The, I want to be clear. The reason I'm having this conversation is because I want us to work together together better. I want you to be able to perform up to your capacity. I want to be able to rely on you. And we're just trying to work on this particular issue within that context. So, so we can just keep backing up. Well, my friends, those are the 12 steps for today. Uh, be interested in hearing your comments, applications, questions, concerns. Everyone is muted in case you try to open your mouth. Uh, you have to unmute yourself first. Um, I thought that was very interesting, Tony. I'd never really thought of a process to make a conversation to go better. I'd always sort of had to wing it, you know, doing some of these things um, almost organically. Oh, we don't agree. Let's back up a little bit. But this gives a very nice way of thinking about it in order as opposed to winging it. So that, that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And with a group that works with each other on a continual basis, if everyone has this list, it, it's even easier. Uh, I, I once was in a meeting where uh, my, my assistant jumped in and, and said, I know, I, th I don't think we set a solid contract for this meeting. Maybe we should back up and do that. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's right. Let's do that. <laughs> but by laying out the, the ground rules, Everybody has the right to point out the ground rules. Doesn't the seniority and so on goes out the window because we've agreed this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, that's very good. And and then just now I don't do corporate work, but for instance, would you in a meeting actually go in with here are the twelve steps that we need to follow, or to just be in your head? Or oh no, I would. I, I they, they know these are the ground rules. Yeah, yeah. Particularly with, with an offsite, uh, I'll, I'll encourage them to generate ground rules and show this as part of the examples. And people do jump in. Uh, yeah. it, uh, I, I got some interesting stories where there's one in particular where the lowest ranking person in the room uh, jumped in and rescued the, the number two guy in the company because he was going down a, a dark alley having forgotten one of the steps. Mm -hmm. He said, "Chuck, what about this?" And Chuck went, "Oh yeah." If we just resolve that, this would be much easier. I'm going to shut up for a moment. I see that Greg has himself unmuted. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say, I, you know, I'm reminded that a lot of 
conversations are really, you know, one party just wants to sit down and unload on the other party. Like, I just want to tell you something. I want, you know, you to do X. Um, it, it's not a, it's not a conversation. It's a, it's, it's a one way, you know, output. Um, and, and that this seems kind of obvious now, but it feels like that's a recipe to not accomplish, you know, uh, something meaningful. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes it can be a trap. It's, yeah, I'm going to insist that you do this, knowing that you probably won't or that you'll uh, rebel and, and, and create the argument that I'm actually trying to have. It's, uh, I also want to compliment. I also want to compliment Greg on how beautifully his clothes match the background. It's all the rear style in there, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's completely unintentional, but I'll take credit for it anyway. It's great. It just all works together very well. <laughs> well, since you brought it up, Bob, what is that on the ceiling? I cannot figure out what that object is over your other shoulder. Oh, it's uh, it's actually a. I'm going to bring it close. It's a very. Well, I know about what Bob's got over there. You got a photograph, but it's something on your ceiling, Greg. What is that? Yeah, you know, it's, this it, is, I don't know what that is. This is a photograph by okay. a very famous photographer named Mary Ellen Mark of Edgar Bergen, <gasps> Charlie McCarthy away in his box. And it captures a very <laughs> moment between the two of them. And uh, this is actually an original signed photograph from Mary Ellen Mark. So I uh, got some my background in ventriloquism. I've always loved this picture. Uh, and so I got a copy of it and I keep it behind me. That's what it is. So is he putting him in the box or taking him out? He's putting him in. How can you tell? Um, I'll tell you that. <laughs> because I first became aware of this picture when I was reading Candace Bergen's autobiography. She was, Edgar ah. Bergen, you know, we all know who Candace Bergen is, Edgar Bergen's daughter. And she was describing a day that Mary Ellen Mark spent with them. And she wrote in the book, and I remember her taking a picture of my father tenderly putting Charlie away. And then there was a little image of that, that picture in the book. So that's how I know. Otherwise, otherwise, you would not know. And interestingly enough, on Mary Ellen Mark's website, the photograph is listed as Edgar Bergen taking Charlie out of his box. Uh -huh. I remember it the way Candace Bergen uh, uh, hmm saw the picture taken. That's so cool. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jane, been thrilled to hear about all your big successes that you're having. It's really oh, cool to read about. Thank you. <laughs> Greg, what's over your, cor uh, your, your shoulder? <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. It's some kind of uh, office uh, accoutrement. I'm not sure. Maybe it's, it's supposed to dampen sound. <laughs> Maybe it's art. It's a space shuttle. I don't know. <laughs> well, all right. That's the material for today. Thank you for coming by. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More coaching like this is available at TonyMayo.com. That URL is T-O-N-Y-M-A-Y-O.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and, most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of executive coach Tony Mayo, all rights reserved worldwide. <laughs>